evidence and answers. The Shroud of Turin has been a sacred object, revered by millions throughout history. But there are many who doubt the authenticity of the Shroud. Does it really bear the image of Jesus Christ? Or is it a fake? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each week, Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. This week, we will continue on with part two of a message Dr. Gary Habermas started the last time we were together entitled, The Shroud of Turin, History or Hoax, from our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Each year, Pat hosts this conference, which features some of the premier Christian scholars and apologists from around the nation. Let's tune in as Dr. Gary Habermas presents the facts on the Shroud, and we'll let you decide. This photo for me kind of symbolizes why we're interested in the Shroud today. All right, this is shortly before the scientific investigation, 1978. My co-author, Ken Stevenson, was there. He was the editor and spokesperson. This research started with four guys in a carpool, four guys who were professors at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. My co-author was one of the four guys in the carpool. Sitting in the stool in the middle there is probably the most authoritative research name associated with the shroud. That's Dr. John Jackson, a theoretical PhD, theoretical physicist. And he's going over the last-minute testing instructions. You go here, be there at 7 o'clock sharp. You come in next, 8 o'clock, don't be a minute late. Because they had tests to run around the clock. Behind John, you can see that table. That that's, gives you an idea of what the, the size of the table. In the next few photos, you're going to be able to see the shroud on the table. But before we get there, that's John with the white shirt with the checks behind. And in the foreground is another name, very well associated, very well known. Eric Jumper, you can see the name on his tag if you look closely enough. They're doing something here that has never been done for hundreds of years. They're separating the shroud from its backing, and they're asking the question, is the image on the back of the shroud or on the front only? And we'll come back to that. On the far left is one of the five scientific photographers specialized in scientific photography. His name is Vern Miller. He was a professor of photography at the Santa Barbara Brooks Institute of Photography. He's doing some photographing here. This is Sam Pellicori, one of the agnostics on the team. He's doing some electron microscope work. Notice the long hair. And you know this is in the 70s. You can tell by the flower power shirt. He's a hippie. He was a scientist at the Jet Propulsion Lab, the JPL lab in Pasadena. And you'll get used to it if you see it. You'll get used to seeing where he is. He's working on the face. How do you know? Because there's the hands crossed. And so you can kind of put it in perspective on where he is on the shroud image. There's the fellow who's taken the sticky tape samples on the bottom of the feet. We talked about Kodak made a special tape that could go on this cloth and have minimum adhesion and could, you know, one tear the cloth and so on. This looks like infrared or something. This is actually ultraviolet photos being taken. They ran a gamut of non-destructive testing to see what they could see on the cloth. There's a real good picture of what the shroud looks like stretched out on this table. Notice the patches, those whitish colored marks uh, every so often. By the way, they're, they're almost the same across from each other because the shroud has been caught in two fires. And when molten silver dropped through onto the cloth, it's theorized, and they've got some really good arguments for this, 
that the shroud was wrapped up in squares and kept inside a cedar chest type deal. And when it burned through, like, remember paper dolls? It made the same marks all the way down, and that's why you have similar looking marks on the cloth. Now this in the next photo, they are not the way the shroud appears to the naked eye. These are enhanced photos, and they tell you something from the data in the photograph. In this photo and in the next one, everything the same density as blood shows up red. So one of the first things you notice is, whoever this is, assuming he was crucified, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, it's pretty clear. But whoever this is, here's one thing you learn. Crucifixion is not a dainty process which yields five major wounds, two in the wrist, two in the feet, and in the case of this person, a spear wound right about here. I say dainty because that'd be like a little bit of blood in five different places, but this man has blood all over his body. And if you've seen The Passion, Gibson used the shroud as one of his models for that horrific beating. And when I went to see it, to this day, I've only seen the movie twice. It's extremely hard for me to watch. And it's not the crucifixion, because he underdoes the crucifixion. The crucifixion's worse than what he depicted. But I knew, since he used the shroud, that Jesus, it wasn't enough to get hit on the back, Jesus in the movie, because on the shroud, well, now the red's not showing up really well on this color, but all those little squiggly marks are beating marks. That's a, that's a water stain in his midsection. That's the chest stabbing there on the right side, right next to a patch. The hands are crossed. You'll see this all closely in just a little while. But he's covered with blood all over his body. There's just not five holes. He's covered with blood all over. In fact, let me uh, back up here. His face is badly bruised, badly beaten. He's got blood in his eyebrows, blood in his mustache. His lip may have been ripped up to his nose by a single blow. Remember how that looked like a little double peak beard and it was off center? It's nothing of the sort. The beard goes all the way down, as you'll see in a moment. That's a blood stain. That's why it looks double peaked and off center. And that's an ancient wrinkle, very ancient, because the blood is following the wrinkle. This is the answer to the question, what did the men see when they took the backing off the shroud? If my co-author, Ken Stevenson, were here, he'd tell you these, there's a no, number of them. He would tell you these are his favorite photos. This is called a photomicrograph. It's a close-up of the linen three-to-one weave under a microscope. Now, what look like blood stains there between the weave, are those are blood stains. And when they pick the, take the backing off and pull the shroud up, the blood goes all the way through. The image does not. Now, the reason that's interesting is, picture one of those threads. You see a bunch of them. Those threads could be made up of 200 individual fibrils. The shroud image is on the top fibril. It doesn't even go two fibrils deep. The reason that's very, very interesting is because no process that we know of or can reproduce can leave marks only one fibril deep because something, paint, dye, powder, some foreign substance is going to soak or leave debris down through the weave. But it's superficial. So that's one of the most difficult things to explain on the shroud. This until just recently uh, was probably the most difficult thing to explain. When the professors from the Air Force Academy took pictures of the shroud, 
and put it in a computer. There's only a few of them around because we have so many more advanced computers now. But when they put the photo on the VP8 image analyzer, it looks like you're looking eerily at a face. That's because the VP8 image analyzer is meant to look at photos that have photograph to object distance, like Voyager space shots. Human faces are not 3D in photos, but in images of the shroud are 3D. What does that mean? First of all, you can't fake this. You can't. A lot of people, a lot of skeptics have tried to fake the face on the shroud, but they send their photo in and the guys put it in a VP8 image analyzer and it just totally funks the test. The nose sinks into the face, the eyes bug out. It just, it doesn't have this data in it. Now, I'm not saying, yeah, doesn't it look like a weird face? Yeah, it's really weird. Let's go on. I'm not saying that. There's some really important data here and in a couple more. When I first went to Ken's home, at the time, he left the Air Force Academy, he lived down in New Orleans. I walked into his home, turned left, went to his living room, and behind these drapes, this is six foot tall, looks like a mummy case. It's not an artistic conception. This is the VP8 image analyzer done in cardboard to the dimensions of the, to the shroud, all the way down. Now here's what the VP8, here's what it says. If the man is lying on his back, left hand crossed over the right, the knee is up like this. I'll tell you why in a second. The cloth is draped around back, looped, and it's going to touch the high points of the body, the forehead, the nose, the chin, not the ears. It's going to touch the chest, not the throat. It's going to touch the hands, not the rib cage. The left leg is up like this. Oh, so for sure it's going to drape over the left knee, not so much on the right knee, etc. But the image on the shroud has an image all the way down. You can't tell by looking at it that the left knee is more prominent and the right knee should be faded to the background. They look the same density. And so they are. In fact, let me tell you something real interesting. The man in the shroud is about 5'9", 5'10", about 170, 175 pounds. You could tell by the earlier photos he's in good shape, good physical shape. And when they have this photo, when you're getting this cloth body distance and so on from him, he's dead. He is in a state of rigor mortis. That's why the knee is popped back up. The left foot is turned toward the right foot, rigor mortis. So they believe that they cross the left over the right. And there's a lot of ways you can crucify, but they believe this man had the left crossed over the right with a single nail through both of them because of the rigor mortis. Remember I told you his head was on the guy's upper leg? That's because the head is frozen in a forward, even though he's lying on his back, his head is frozen in a forward direction, rigor mortis. So rigor mortis in the neck, rigor mortis in the left knee, rigor mortis in the left foot. And that solves a very important question because if there's any chance this is Jesus, we talked last night, what do we say the God side, the fact side of the gospel, minimal, or which facts? Deity, death, Resurrection. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, this man needs to be dead if there's any chance that this is Jesus and true to Scripture, and this man is dead. There's a half dozen reasons to believe that. But the main thing is, how do you explain 3D? Now, here's what 3D means. The cloth touches the body on the high points. How come the low points are represented? Because whatever 
created the image on the shroud, jumped across the distance of up to a few centimeters, and was impregnated into the cloth, just whatever it was, this process. And it's not a respecter of distances. It can move across distances. Vapor does not do that. Chemicals do not do that. What I mean is they don't jump across a distance and then give you... Chemicals can do that, but you'll get a smudge. You'll get a very carefully delineated... One of the oddest things about this image is how carefully delineated the image is. Oh, the point I was making about him being 5'9", 180 pounds. If you're lying on your back on cement or rock, cloth underneath you, cloth on top of you, which image, back or front, is going to be the darkest? Why the back? Because the weight's on it. Guess what? The image in the front and the back are the same density. No difference. The key is not the weight of the body. The key is the process that left the mark on the cloth. And it was a process that goes across space. And I'll hold on and I'll tell you what this turned out to be in some recent tests. This is a model of a Roman flagrum that was believed to do the damage. That's a drawing on the, your right. That's an actual shroud wound on the left. Remember back to Gibson? Look at the carnage on this man's back. That's more to key for man. Notice how tightly, I mean, where the wounds are. You see that across the waist, the blood flow going this way? That's a chest wound. He's pierced here, the blood flows down to the waist and goes across the back. Probably when the body was taken down, whoever it is. Probably when the body was taken down, put in a tomb, whatever. Now down below are the calves, the very bottom. By the way, do you see the left foot? Do you see how the left knee is raised because it's, a, it's pulled up a little bit on that picture? The men who did the whipping were so sadistic, they whipped every inch of his body except for his face, his lower arms, and his feet. Everything else was whipped. Look at the whipping marks on the calves. Anything that wasn't bleeding, they went ahead and hit it again and again. And you know how CSI and all these programs, how specific they are? They can tell that probably two men did the whipping. One was significantly taller than the other one, and one was left-handed. That's what they can tell from this. It's artist's conception of where these, you add the chest, and that's the five wounds I mentioned. We'll see the chest in a moment. There's the left hand over the right. You can't see the wound in the right wrist because it's covered, but presumably it's there because there's the blood flow. Now, there's a V-shaped blood flow up each arm. Death by crucifixion is debated by medical doctors, but that's another... I'm doing a medical article right now with a medical doctor who's, who just recently published an article on death by crucifixion. We're now doing an article together on hallucination from a medical perspective. There are different views on what causes death. But one of the causes of a V-shaped blood flow is that in crucifixion, crucifixion is still the majority view, is that crucifixion is death by asphyxiation. And you worm your body into different poses to be able to free the muscles around the lungs, and that causes the blood flow to go up the wrist differently, depending on the angle. Of course, you can't move your hands if you're nailed, but I mean, that's what happens. Oh, one more thing. Just one more little realistic thing, like the coins and everything else. Notice you don't see the thumbs in this image. They're like this, right? When you put a nail through the wrist, and if it strikes the median nerve, not all the time, but quite frequently, the thumb goes like this, and there are no thumbs. Just one more really interesting 
anatomical detail. Here's the artist's conception of where the spear went. Not just a guess, but this is where the spear is on the man of the shroud, between the fifth and sixth ribs, into the heart. The view is that the blood comes from the heart, and the watery fluid, the chief pathologist, who, by the way, was a consultant for the old Quincy program, I understand, the chief pathologist, Alec County, MD, said that the watery fluid was more visible in the back, in the chest flow that goes in the back. And it's believed that the blood came from the right side of the heart and the water from the pericardial sac. It's a sac that surrounds the heart that has several cc's of watery liquid for purpose of protection and buffering on the heart. And there's not very many places. The body might be 98% water, so they tell us, but there's, there's no spigot, right? I mean, there's no place you could stab on the human body and get water out. But one of the only places is the pericardium with this watery fluid. So that pretty much guarantees this man's death because the pericardium is so paper thin that if you stab the pericardium, it's virtually impossible to stop in the middle of a sheet of paper and not go into the heart. Besides, where would the guy be aiming to stop him in his tracks? Now, last few slides, and this is going to be really fun. How come the fingers look so long? That used to be a, one of the main issues until somebody said, the reason the fingers are so long is because you're looking up into the back of the hand. Just like this human skeleton here, this was, the slides were done by a medical doctor, just like the metacarpal bones go up into the hand from the fingers, you're seen into the back of this man's hand. Okay, just keep that there for a minute. Wish you could all go up and take a look at this, but look here underneath this photo on the left, Underneath the lip, bottom lip, can you guys, where you're, from where you're sitting, do you see little tiny pin marks underneath the bottom lip? They're there, little tiny marks. The most common view, like the back of the hand, you're seeing the bones in the back of the hand. What you're seeing there are teeth. Teeth are visible. I don't mean teeth because they ripped the skin up and you can see his teeth. I'm saying what's inside is coming out. What causes that? Well, it's been said for a long time, but an article came out last Easter again. Two articles came out at the same time, one that said carbon dating first century, and the second one said, with recent experiments, and there's a number that have gone after this, the image on the shroud, as nearly as science can tell, is caused by radiation from a dead body. Radiation from a dead body. The man is dead. He's in a state of rigor mortis. He has post-mortem blood flow, separation of blood and serum. That's just fancy ways to say he is dead. And something is coming out of the body to produce the image, striking the cloth, both where the cloth is touching and where the cloth is a distance away from the body. The most likely cause is radiation. There's nothing like this in any other burial garments. So what the same doctor who did the hand, this one, did... This is probably my favorite photo, kind of eerie, but that's a human skull on the right. Notice the teeth on the right side. Follow the teeth right around, and the teeth of the man in the shroud just follow. Can you see that? Now you see the teeth of the man in the shroud. The teeth is one of the most interesting things. And I did this in St. Louis one time. I had a dental surgeon in the second row. He started getting super excited. And after it was over, he came up. And he said, you know something? He said, that's one of the best dental x-rays I've ever seen. Let me tell you why it's good. He said, when you photograph teeth, 
Teeth are very, very difficult. It's a round surface. If you're not careful, the ones in the front are going to be really big and the ones behind are going to be really small, and you have to get them the same way. He said, in order to get a uniform picture of teeth, I have to put a ball in your mouth about that large to get a dental photo like that. In fact, the Duke, retired Duke University medical doctor that took this, he took it to the, I think, head of dental surgery at Duke Medical School, and the guy concurring with the doctor from St. Louis, he said, that's the best dental photo I've ever seen. You know why? Images of the shroud are columnated. They go straight up and down. Radiation doesn't go straight up and down. In fact, you ever wonder how someone can tell from a photograph how they can tell anything? It's like this. And they're going, oh, yeah, look at this. You're going, yeah, right. Right, you can't see. But people who know what they're looking at, this is just very explicit. What you're looking at here, I don't know for sure. It's my last slide. I don't know for sure. I try not to say this because, you know, I'm the guy that works in the resurrection, does a head count, read all these books and everything else, and people expect me to say this, and I'm not trying to sound bombastic or anything else. But what this appears to be is the radiation coming out of a dead body of a crucified man that, if the carbon dating last year is correct, goes back to the first century AD. I'm not saying this, Jesus. Depends on whether it's Monday, Wednesday, or Friday for me. It really does. And it almost sounds too good to be true. But I'll end with this. I was given this lecture one time at the university. A young lady came up to me. She identified herself as a Christian. And she said, to me, here's the value of your lecture. She said, in America, especially among Christians, we take the death of Jesus much too lightly. We say, Jesus died for my sins. And the next sentence might be, let's go get a hamburger. She said, we really don't meditate on that. And I thought about what she said, and I think she's right. This may not be the burial ground of Jesus. Then again, it might be. But if this isn't the burial ground of Jesus, it's still the closest we'll ever get to death by crucifixion. So it's accurate. So even if it's not Jesus, it's a great argument for what death by crucifixion is. So it tells us what people went through medically. So it's still very useful. You know, nobody says that some of our archaeological finds we have, you know, you find a little lamp, an oil lamp. No one says that's the exact same lamp that Elijah used, you know. But it's helpful to see what the lamps look like. Well, that's what this may be. Oh, by the way, before I end here, the most common question I get is, what about the face cloth? If there's a face cloth there, the image would be on the face cloth and not on the big cloth. Ken Stevenson and I argue that there's five cloths on the man of the shroud, but I'll have to wait to tell you about that. John Robinson, New Testament scholar, very liberal, very liberal. He was called the God is dead theologian in the 60s. He wrote two articles arguing that the shroud was authentic. And he's the one that popularized the view. The face cloth is only mentioned twice in the New Testament. Lazarus, John 11. Jesus, John 20. And both times, it says, one says wrapped up, rolled up and wrapped around the face, and the other time says rolled up and wrapped around the head. Both times. This man looks like he has precisely that. By the way, the Mishnah says, bind up the jaw and burial so that the jaw doesn't become slack. Tie the jaw shut. And that seems to be what the face cloth is. Now look, there's a gap between the hair and the face. And you know why the beard looked like it ended right here, but it goes down to here? See how far down the beard goes? Something's pulling the beard back like this. You got the closer beard and the farther beard. Something's pulling the hair of the face back. 
and something's separating the hair from the face. That may be the face cloth, whether this is Jesus or not. It could be the face cloth. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes our study on the Shroud of Turin, history or hoax. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. Log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. Join us here next week online or here on the air for more Evidence and Answers. <laughs>